Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 450 with Dan Souter. Chill out. Relax a little bit. I feel like we are so much in a society now where it's reactive and instant reactive. Take the time to do a little diligence and figure out what you're reacting to. We have information so easily, readily available to us at the palm, at the 180 character quip. But just relax. Process information and then react to it. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable 89 percent of guests research a restaurant online before dining out your website is your first impression so answer me this question honestly what does your website say about your restaurant also websites are no longer static brochures they're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. And with excitement, allow me <laughs> to introduce to you today's guest, Daniel Souter. Daniel, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am. Let's yes. do it. <laughs> and uh, before we really dive into it, I should also mention uh, a quick thank you to my boys in Dayton, uh, Chris Dimmick and David and uh, Ginger out there. And Jeremy's part of the group, too. These guys uh, helped me connect with so many people. And this is one of my last episodes while I'm in town. So I want to make sure I, I took the time to thank them. Yeah, they're and, doing uh, some cool stuff up there. Oh, yeah. They're crushing be a it. a really cool thing. Absolutely. And uh, so in case you guys are wondering who Daniel is, student of Miami University and level two certified sommelier, Daniel Souter, uh, came up in Cincinnati. Ohio today. Souter is the sommelier turned restaurant tour serving as co-founder of at Cincinnati's Pleasantry. Um, obviously, this is a really brief summary. I can't wait to kind of dive into how you got to where you are today. But before we do, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us? Sure. Um, so this is one that uh, I've recently been introduced to um, by a guy named Brandon Cook. Shout out to Brandon. Um, uh, I've gotten to know Brandon over the past couple months. Um, he's actually a store manager at Lululemon, um, and they do a lot of things in leadership. Um, and his quote that he actually signs his emails with is one that I've really uh, touched me. It's, leadership is scarce because few people are willing to go through the discomfort required to lead. Ooh, so dive into what you think he means by or what is meant by discomfort. Like, how is sure. being a leader discomfortable? Um, yeah, I mean, like, it, it's not easy. Is, is what that means to me. Um, you know, sometimes it, it, it's uncomfortable. You know, a, a lot of people use that phrase, be uncomfortable. Yeah. Make, move yourself to be, un- get out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. Um, you know, you got to 
correct people sometimes. That's not the most comfortable feeling, you know? Yeah. It, it, it requires you to move and get out of that comfort zone, which not a lot of people want to do. Yeah, and it, it takes a lot of courage, too, to right. stand up. Uh, I mean, we are, we are so embedded in our DNA to go along with society because that's, what's, that, what, that's what enables us to get along with our tribes and the, our, our communities is being a part of it, right? And right. Uh, knowing the beliefs and, and everybody having the same beliefs. But when you believe something differently and you're willing to stand up, it, it's a, it can be really like, nerve-wracking because um, you know, for so long, if you stood up and defo- defended yourself, you know, it could be the difference of being an outcast or right. not being accepted. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a reason why like you kind of like get that feeling inside of you when you're about to say something different, say something opposing somebody saying something that, uh, is the right thing to say, uh, in, in the instance of correcting or showing someone the right way to do something, they might be doing it differently. And you get that feeling, you know, it's like those endorphins are, are growing in you and that just requires like that courage to like have them and contain them and to keep them going because it's, it is uncomfortable yeah. at times, and, yeah. and but that's a good thing. You know that you need that uncomfortableness to to, to grow, beautiful, and, and to move further. Awesome, great way to get this thing started. And uh, we actually should. Uh, I was, you know, I was lucky enough to get a glass of wine with today's interview. So, real quick, what, what did you uh, select for us? Uh, yes, this is a super tasty. Uh, it's from a producer called Dirty and Rowdy. Um, Dude. Winemakers Hardy Wallace, a really uh, high energy, larger than life personality guy that uh, we were fortunate enough to do an event with him here. He's out of California. Um, this is his Familiar Blanc, um, just a blend of a whole bunch of white grapes. Uh, there's some Viognier, some Chenin, uh, some Marsan, some Roussan, some Melon. Uh, you know, low alcohol. It's like under 12%. Uh, I like to drink. I don't love being drunk. Sometimes it happens, but yeah. Um, so the lower alcohol, the better to me. Uh, it's a natural wine, which is like what our whole program is built which I'm on. I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, we can, yeah. We can definitely dive into that. Um, but yeah, it's super tasty. It's low alcohol. It's high acid. It's fun. It's drinkable. It makes me want to go for more. And it's a little funky. It's got that little cheesiness to it. Yeah. And it, you know, you can tell it's definitely, it's got that natural look. It's absolutely unfiltered it's yeah. not only cloudy but there's chunks in this sucker. Uh, i love it uh anyway um back to the subject of you and your yeah. story so sure let's start with where it all started for you when did you start you know get getting involved in this industry and when did you know that this is gonna be your career path sure um so i worked in restaurants uh and throughout college in a way um i worked at this really awesome place here in town called zips cafe best burgers in town um that it was old school restaurant like it's been there since i don't know probably the 30s 40s um you still use a still to this day use an intercom system to call orders back to the kitchen um owned now by a guy that i actually worked with in the kitchen there a really good guy friend of mine um so i just liked and, it, and it's busy yeah it's busy all the time um so and i just liked that at the time like i just what was enjoyed. this 2000 2001 no yeah, 2001. Okay, so right before going to college. Yeah, so college like, and, and then I, uh, right before that, and then in uh, one summer in yeah. between. So at uh, this point, was it still just a for now job? Or it was, it was totally just a for now Okay. Job. You know, I was uh, very much, you know, I was an economics major in college. Um, I wasn't the best student, um, which is why I was a student at Miami, not a graduate <laughs> of Miami University. Um, you know, I, I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't have a place, um, you know. I, I, th- I knew what I thought I wanted to do. Um, but there were a whole other reasons. I got pretty sick at a couple different points throughout yeah. college where it required me to like drop a lot of classes oh, and, and get behind um, 
you know my, my my friends that were there as well and i think that a little bit of that was like oh they all graduated they all left and now i'm like yeah, i don't what am i gonna do here yeah. type thing and i'm like i don't know it was a pride thing for okay. sure my pride messes with me from so, time to time at this time uh when you had that experience before college working in the hospitality industry is there, was there anything particular that you remember about that time that you m- maybe that that suggested you might have an, a future in hospitality um so yeah, and I bartended in college okay. as well. Um, I, I just I like the pace. Okay. Um, I like the stimulation of, of interaction, okay. um, uh, especially obviously front of the house being a bartender. And it yeah. was a total turn and burn college bar. There was just a lot of fun though. It was that high energy, that high pace, uh, that stimulation from you know hanging out with your friends, yeah. but like you were working. You know that's kind of okay. Uh, so you didn't graduate from Miami University. Right. What did you do after? You, uh, so uh, when I left Miami, uh, I had this great idea that I was going to be a poker player. Okay. So this was kind of like right along the boom of the poker age when yeah. ESPN was showing it. 2006, 2011. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. So I was like, uh, so I started playing poker every day. Uh, I played, you know, with friends in college and would go to the, at the time, riverboat around here uh, like in Lawrenceburg Indiana it was a boat and that's when, where our casinos were um, yeah and I would go there play poker and I did really well okay until I didn't okay and then I didn't do well and do that we ha- want to talk and about that, that happened quickly <laughs> yeah you know, I, just, I made a good amount of money yeah. and started playing in a game that I probably shouldn't have been playing in okay and higher stakes yep yep could, and couldn't handle handle the swings <laughs> and it was uh, you know in, in that in that world and that type of thing, you know, it's like once you're you're broke, you're broke. Okay, you know, yeah. which is like a crazy thing to think of. So, during this 2006 2011 time, uh, when you were playing poker, were you starting to develop a more of an interest in wine? And so this was like a, it was a, basically just a year of that, and that was uh, probably like 2007 to 2008, 2007, probably the year of 2007. Uh, and then when I was broke, uh, I was like, I need I need money. You know, and you know what did I know? Well, uh, I could go and make quick cash yep. serving. Yeah, you know, so uh, I actually applied for a job uh, to be an assistant manager within this uh, restaurant here in town. Um, and the guy, the vice president of the restaurant group, um, said, "Like, you know what? I want to bring you on. Uh, I want to get you worked through all the positions and eventually move into that role." Okay. Um, so I was like, "Okay, cool," and started doing that. And shortly after I was there. Um, uh, they asked me basically, uh, they were going to fire general managers at out of town, uh, stores, restaurants. Okay. And I was going to go in, I was single. I was like, I could, I was mobile. I could do whatever, you know, um, stay there for a few months, train a new manager, go to the next city. Okay. Uh, so I did that. Uh, went to Memphis, Tennessee, uh, was there for like three months. Um, then went to Charlotte, um, got to Charlotte and like. September of 2008 Charlotte's a banking town <laughs> and uh, so literally within like a few weeks of me being there Wachovia and Bank of America which are both based there were based there crashed tanked yeah. whatever so you want to say like circa 2012 2013 no, this was like 2008 right the, oh, and okay, the crash okay, okay, like right, right. Right. 2008 um, yeah fall of 2008 so yeah and that was like a really weird time to be in Charlotte uh, everybody was talking about how great it was and it's Charlotte's a very young city in the grand scheme of things everyone's a transplant so yeah. like you have immediately have that in common with people that nine out of ten people are not from there um 
So, uh, yeah, I was there for nine months in a really interesting time. There was like a weird gas crisis at one point to where like you had to wait 20 cars deep to get $5 worth of gas and you had to like plan out your next move oh because you didn't know if you'd have gas or not. <laughs> it was, it was wild. Um, and it was, uh, it was a, the restaurant where I was at, where they sent me was in like a very high end mall. Okay. And you know, when the economy tanked, people didn't have money to go to that high end mall anymore. Um, so staying there, uh, and eventually it was just like, I wanted to come home. Um, I've been gone for about a year at that point. Yeah. Um, and then, the restaurant, it was just kind of like a, it was slow and you know, I, I realized quickly that I was like, I don't want to be in a slow, a slow restaurant. Like, and it wasn't anything that I felt like I could change or yeah. do. Um, so it just, you know, it gave me all sorts of different feeling. You know, I was homesick and like, I miss my friends and, yeah. and I just didn't want to be there anymore. Uh, so I came back here, still stuck with that group for like another year and a half. Um, and then that's when, uh, the wife of the like president of that group opened a restaurant here in town. Um, uh, Enoteca Amelia. That okay. was in 2011. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. 2011. Yeah. So I'm curious. Um, there's, I feel like there might be some nuggets in your story up to this point, uh, specifically when they hired you, you, you know, you wanted to be the assistant manager, yeah. uh, but they wanted to scale you into What do you think was going on? What do you think? Was there an, uh, was there methods that madness of like making you work through all the, the roles? And it sounds like you did it pretty quickly. Sure. Yeah. So talk us through what, what was going on. Yeah, there I think, um, I think what he probably saw in me was that I wasn't ready to be an assistant manager right away, which I probably, Why? I'd agree with. I just never managed anyone before. Okay. Like I'd been like a, bartender in college and stuff like that you know i never worked at a job like for a living per se it was just to like get my way through school yeah. or like so um but i think what he saw in me uh i don't know he just liked something in my personality liked something uh i don't know something about just me. The, the desire the interest to, to, to have that, that role to be yeah. there to want it yeah which and is hard to come by because most people rather have that that line job where you're making the tips and mm-hmm. it takes a special person to want that management position um so what did you learn about like when did you when so eventually uh he, he recognized that you weren't ready but then he you both agreed that you were ready what changed in you that made you ready um i think at that time well the funny thing is i was probably what i was like 24 25 at that time i wouldn't say i was necessarily ready honestly mm-hmm. uh i wasn't ready more ready than you were maybe when more you ready there. but yeah but i wasn't necessarily ready to to have that like uncomfortableness i wasn't Why? ready to um I think just being uh, mostly younger than everyone I was working with okay. was one thing. Yeah. Um, or just like I, I, mentally I wasn't just ready to be in that position to like lead. Okay. Um, I liked like the idea of it and I think I might have liked the title of it. Um, but like to lead and to kind of like make myself vulnerable, make myself uncomfortable to kind of like push people and, and correct things. I, I don't necessarily think I was there yet. Um, okay. I really enjoyed the like uh, financial aspect of it. You know, like I enjoyed looking at P and L's each day. Oh I man, enjoyed, you're weird. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it, it's bizarre. I enjoyed like seeing the restaurant do well, um, and I think that is one thing that I have always taken with me up until I owned my own place. Is that I always felt, you know, it's the grand the sense of accomplishment, right? And it's the grand what I'm always trying to get out of my employees. Um, you know, is to try and make them feel just as much a part of this team and mm. as much it's their restaurant as much as it is my restaurant. We'll get, to, it we'll is. get the present yeah. day. Sure, uh, sure. And I'm looking forward to that part of it. Uh, but 2011, uh, the, the owner of the restaurant group, his wife opens uh, 
Eno, or and how do you say it again? Enoteca Amelia. I'm the worst Italian it's alive, dude. That's where I say Italian words. Enoteca Amelia. Okay. And it was actually just before that, um, a girl that I was working with at this other restaurant, um, she was going through uh, the first level of sommelier testing. Okay. And she was like, uh, you know what? I think, like, I knew at that time I wanted to specialize in something to kind of, like, distinguish myself. Okay. Uh, amongst my peers. Um and at that time, she was like, you know what, here, I think this is something you would really like. And I was like, you know, like, I don't really know anything about wine other than the very elementary level of wine that we had at the restaurant. And it was like bare minimum, you know, and it was bad. Okay. Um, and so I was like, all right, whatever. Sure. She was like, here, you can like just sign up and take the test whenever. So closest one there was to, uh, in Cincinnati was to Ch- in Chicago. Okay. Which I was like, oh, cool. I have like a bunch of buddies from college in Chicago. Yeah, I'll use it as a chance to go up there. Uh, but it was like five weeks away. And like I said, I had no knowledge, no nothing of it. So I signed up and I was waitlisted. I was like, all right, back burner again. Getting more you know. time to study. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then like a week later, they were like accepted me. And accepted means like I was paid for. It was all gone. It was already in there. So I was like, all right, I got to figure this out. So for studied for the next, you know, four weeks straight yeah. every day um, and just had like a crash course. She gave me her book. She gave me her notes. Ended up going to Chicago, taking the test, passing the test. Um which was great. Came back, um, and I knew I wanted to like immerse myself in a restaurant that had wine mm-hmm. and, and a good wine culture. Um, so that's when this uh, Enotech Amelia was opening. So I jumped at that, went and joined the team, uh, kind of like opened as a server bartender um, to start. And just, yeah, really kind of started working a lot with Italian wine, getting to know that. Because at the time, even though I passed and had my level one, I still didn't know wine. You mm. can't know wine until you taste it yeah, and drink a lot it. of it. You have to drink it yeah. to, to know it. And at the time, I just was never exposed to it. Okay. So um, getting to that point was good to expose me to um, a bunch of wine. Yeah, you know, know, especially just working in the, it. the restaurant industry, being somebody who I think you were the wine director eventually, 2013, but we're still 2011, 2000, that, that range, right? So, yeah, so this was... Uh, so my boss there had like I had worked in Italian restaurants, pretty much his whole time in restaurants in Cincinnati. Um, put together this really at the time uh, all Italian wine list, um, and so I got to know that, and eventually became the bar manager there. Um, and I never had any say in the wine list there or anything. You know, I just kind of like learned and studied and do all that, um, and just. Uh, yeah, kind of like exposed myself as much as I could to the wine so, while still tasting outside to kind of like further my studies. So as far as like progressing through one's career, the big thing I'm taking out of this, obviously, um, training other people is how you learn. You, you spent a lot of time training other people, traveling around and going through the process of teaching other people what you know, what they sure. taught you is probably the best way to get really efficient and proficient at something, but also specializing in something, right? Yeah. Uh, and become a person of value. You become a person of value by going deep into one subject and, and being really good at a few things and having your, your lane and owning that lane uh, instead of trying to be really good at a bunch of stuff. Uh, you can get better opportunities that, that way. So was, was this in the back of your mind, like trying to specialize or was that just what you were interested in? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was definitely in my mind, like I needed okay. to specialize in something to like differentiate myself amongst mm-hmm. other people, but also to just get another skill set, you know, to get another uh, something to put in my pocket to use 
to further my career. So for be- sure. Before we go on to the next stage in yeah. your career and why you did that, uh, I'm curious. Grab your phone real quick and see if you can't share this out. Yeah, so we're live right now. Uh, I I, I kind of went through this uh, when we got started before I hit record. So the, pe- the people at home right now are watching. Uh, what's up, guys? How can you hear me real quick? Uh, this is, hold on one second. Okay. I just sent a request to be in your live feed. Can you do that? Go live. Uh, so now it's like my live. Uh, <laughs> and I can hear the conversation, so maybe mute it or like put it away from us. Yeah, get that thing out of here. Or turn the volume down. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so... I apologize. Maybe in the recording, I'll edit this part up, but I don't know. <laughs> we're sharing this. We're growing restaurant unstoppable. <laughs> okay. So we got up to the point where we're talking about what was going on with Enoteca. Did I say yeah. it correctly? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, and some of the, the big takeaways. So what made you ultimately want to leave that, lo- that location for what was going on? Why did you have to sure. get out? To go um, so the chef uh, that opened, the opening chef on that restaurant, Jeremy Lures, he um, left that restaurant to go open his own restaurant. Um, and when he left, he asked me, he was like, Hey, I would, uh, really want you to come and run this restaurant that I'm going to be opening. Um, he saw something in me that he liked, um, how we worked together there, um, that he wanted me to come run his restaurant. So, uh, obviously like it was, I jumped at the chance, but it was down the line. So I kept on working at Enoteca, just kind of like biding my time. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Um, Growing, learning still, and, and doing that. And uh, about a couple months before, um, to this day, he'll say, he never told me to leave, which I agree with. I, he never <laughs> told me to leave. Um, I left. Uh, we like kind of like worked in the space mm-hmm. that he had. It was, it was an existing restaurant. Um, and about, you know, it, it fell through uh, before it could happen. Kind of like the money fell through, the plans fell through. So uh, I was kind of stuck. You know? okay. I was like, oh, now I left my job. Um, so I don't, you left Enoteca, yeah. and they were in the process of opening another restaurant. Uh, the chef who that way was going to open one of Under these. Under that uh, group? No. Or they were bringing no, out? separate. Okay, gotcha, separate. Gotcha. Yeah, the chef yep. was just going to be chef owner. So for the new opportunities, why you got out? And then instead of going back, you, you went to a new location. Yeah. So um, at that point, uh, you know, uh, a colleague called me and was like, you know, I, uh, I the, a new restaurant just opened down here and over the Rhine. So this was five years ago right at, uh, four four or five years ago it was okay. like hey I need a bartender and I was like yeah I need a job so <laughs> so, that, so that works yeah. um, so you know my whole plan you know go there bartend keep making some money and this was wine barring in coffee lab this was not this was oh, okay. on the way there okay this was a little detour alright how long, um, how long were you, did you spend there? this this thing it was just like a couple months okay and at that point I was just outwardly looking and he knew that uh, to find a job to where I could be in management and, yeah. and to further my want you're just trying um, to keep cash flow right exactly so up to this point reflecting back on the, that everything that happened before this point was there one key takeaway one evolutional you know point for you were you committed full heartedly into this career or were you still yeah. okay cool yeah at that point um, right after right when I like took started getting into wine and okay. taking the test um, is when I was like alright yeah this is like it's super interesting to me it's it's it stimulates me on like a knowledge level which mm-hmm. I really like to learn and just constantly grab knowledge mm-hmm. and wine is a massive massive oh, yeah. world it you, never you, ends you can't stop learning yeah. about wine um, that I liked uh, I like 
to drink it and yeah, I like the, to the, expose people to it and so. it's not just like reading about it is experiencing it right. learning through experience yeah, which is huge um, oh, cool so up to this point was the biggest lesson just what you learned about yourself yeah I think I think to that point um, I think my biggest thing was uh, learning to be humbled okay um, like I said I'm a fairly prideful person are um, you one of those snooty sommeliers no okay and then like uh, <laughs> never I was I, okay. I was never in a restaurant that would allow me to be that okay and we'll get to it but what we do here is like the complete opposite of that um yeah, no, I was just, uh, you know, just the, the pride thing of, you know, not so like my best friends in the world are not of this world. You know, they're guys I went to high school, went to college with who mm-hmm. have totally different yep. lives, different occupations, you know, work during the day, work nine to fives, things like that. So uh, stop comparing myself to them, myself to them, you know, I, for whatever reason, my, my life veered at yeah. some point um, for not good or bad, you know, maybe some bad decisions along the way, but nothing that I that I regret really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and just really embracing what I was doing and realizing that this was a career. Not only could it be a career, could it be, it could be a really good career and a really, um, uh, something that gives me like a lot of joy and, and pride in, in mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. So to kind of like stop comparing myself to, to my friends external too. Yes. And I think that's For a sure. huge lesson to learn because I think so often we're always comparing ourselves ourselves to the rest of the world. And, searching for an idealism that doesn't really exist. We're always trying to get to that next level, but really it's that inward search of like being okay, cool with who we are, what we're doing and growing personally better than our, like only comparing ourselves to the, the version we were the day before. Right. Right. And I think when you can get that growth and you, that's where the true like happiness is, is discovered is when you're inward, right? Not yeah. external and, you know, comparing yourself to others. So that's for a huge sure. lesson to learn. Yeah. So, all right. What ended up getting you, uh, on board over at the wine bar and coffee, 12, 15. coffee lab. Yeah. Um, so like I said, when I was kind of just bartending for cash, uh, while looking for a job, I had a couple different opportunities, um, both in restaurants, three, three opportunities, actually, luckily enough, both in, in restaurants, managing in restaurants. And then the other was at, uh, 1215 wine bar, um, a wine rep put us in to contact me with the owner, Joanna. Um, so she knew I was looking for something and she knew she was looking as well. So put us in contact. Uh, we met one afternoon, one morning, um, in a coffee, a different coffee shop and just started talking. You know, it wasn't an interview. It was just, we're talking, you know, like, and it turns out we knew a lot of the same people. Uh, so just a little, little small background on Cincinnati, uh, very Catholic, very German town in, in tradition. Um, uh, there's a lot of like all boys and all girls Catholic high schools and immediately like I went to one of the all boys Catholic schools Joanna went to one of the all girls so we had kind of like that thing in common mm-hmm. um, and also realized that she uh, was friends with uh, some of my best friends older brothers and like their group of friends which we hung out with them a lot uh, like in our early 20s and we were positive at some point our paths had crossed and just didn't realize it at some point um, so we just hit it off, like, on a personal level uh, immediately. Um, and so, you know, I kind of, like, went through some interviews with her and with some other places. And, you know, uh, my whole thing, like, I love restaurants, obviously. I yeah. love being in restaurants. I love wine, uh, but I love food equally as much. You know, I just love, and I love, I think, the pairing of the two. Not necessarily pairing wine with food, but just sharing wine and food together is mm. is what it's all about to me drink with food um 
And so I was like a little hesitant to go to a, a place that was just a wine bar and, and a coffee shop, but didn't have food. Um, but honestly, I uh, came, was just like kind of like on border where, what I wanted to do, what I thought my next move was going to be. And I was talking to my then girlfriend, who's now my wife. And uh, she was like, you know, like, what, what, what do you think you're going to do? And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go work for Joanna. I think I'm going to go work at 1215. I was like, there's just something about it that ju- it just feels right. It feels like the right move. There's something about... Was it the familiarity it of was, just her? Yeah, it like- was just like, yes. And uh, she, if you are ever lucky enough to meet her, um, I think that is her grand gift to the world is that she makes everyone feel welcome and warm. Mm. And she just has this warmth about her that... Um, yeah, is great. Did you pick any of the, that that ability up from her? Did you learn anything from her? Did you try to like you assimilate what she did in your uh, own? Yeah, I mean, like over time, uh, yes. Uh, so, what's one thing you picked up from her? From her, her, like in in general. So she is now fast forwarding. She's now we're partners mm-hmm. at Pleasantry. Yeah. So um, I've worked for and with her for the past four and a half years, minus a six month break. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, Joanna is probably my my biggest mentor in like professional life um she's like my best friend probably i mean we spend a hundred percent more time i spend more time with her than i do my wife mm. uh just by nature of like how like our jobs and what we do um uh she's taught me so much uh, as we were opening this she had already opened one business so so much about the pre-opening process and like the mundane red tape nonsense you have to go through to open a restaurant to open a business you know with the city and forms and liquor license and and you know setting up payroll and setting up accounting and all that legal stuff um she had already done before so she taught me so much in in that way um on on top of uh, so much about how to manage i want to go deeper here i want to go deeper here um for sure because i mean this was a big part of your life up to your professional life up to this point because you you got on board in 2000 Thirteen by two thousand fourteen, uh, you're opening. Or wait, is this? Yeah, we open. No, so we've been open a year and a half. Okay, so, two thousand fourteen. Yeah, that's probably right. I was there twelve fifteen. Is she associated with the Phoenix Restaurant Group? Or no. That, okay, so I left that chef who I had left to go open that restaurant that never happened with. Yeah, uh, he eventually wound up at the Phoenix Restaurant Group and was reopening this restaurant in this historic building in downtown Cincinnati. Okay. The president's room and asked me to come and run the restaurant that we never opened. Okay. There. So let's um, backpedal yeah, to sure. uh, 1215 Wine Bar and Coffee Lab. Sure. Uh, what are the two biggest things that she taught you about business or three biggest things if you can't narrow it down? Hmm. Man, that's tough. Um, I think, I think, like I said, her biggest... The biggest thing I've learned from Joanna, that's tough. Business. Business. And we're going to get into what you yeah. learned about being human. After. Right. Uh, it, it's just the, uh, the managing people um, mm. and, and, and how to manage people. Um, and, and to take it as that like the, every person is, is different. Um, it's something that I have very much imparted in like our staff here at Pleasantry. Um, but going back to like not every situation is the same. Not every guest is the same. So in order to kind of adapt to that, and, and not every employee is the same. So to kind of have, you need to have rules, you need to have policies, you need to have stuff like that. But in order to um, kind of work with that, you kind of have to be able 
you have to be flexible. You have to yeah. be malleable. You, you can't be, you can't force people into molds. Right. You uh, can't you can't you know you can't correct one person the same way you correct another person. Mm-hmm. You, you just can't. It's 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 a way. You got to be able to work with someone. What else yeah. did you teach you about business? Um, and then just like the 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 boring stuff about business. Um, you know, like payroll and when we have to get that in and like why we have to do certain to pay these taxes and you know why we have to pay a $200 a year tax just to be in business Um, you know all that stuff and when we went through like transferring of a liquor license all that stuff like all the the stuff you don't think about what's the biggest most boring thing that you can share with us that is just a lesson something that you didn't know that kind of like is an eye opener uh, that we should all know that most, most people don't know yeah um uh, probably we like how much we start in the hole each week when we open our doors for business. How much you start in the hole each week? Uh, several thousand dollars. Wow! Of just fixed costs, man. That if we don't open our doors that week, we still have to pay that. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so that's like it's not necessarily like that. She's taught me. It's just like what's the biggest thing that the you nature can do that. to protect yourself from that hole? I mean, uh, not pay myself. <laughs> Is, a, is it something in there? Um, yeah. But, you know, like right away, when we open the doors, we owe rent. We owe salaries yeah. to our salaried employees. We owe um, utilities. We owe, you know, we rent certain machines. We we have a fixed nut every every month mm-hmm. that we, or every week that we have to pay. Yeah. Man. And bare minimum you have to hit. Minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you're kind of like redlining it until yeah. Friday, yeah. you know, and then it's like, all right, let's, so... That's why, like, uh, this time of year can be kind of tough when there's, like, snow. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, it's so pretty. And I'm like, snow is awful. But then it that's makes, also, like... Makes people not yeah. come out. makes people not come here. But and, that's also the, the season average, right? we got to pay attention to that right. season average. We need to put money away... For sure. ...in the good times... For sure. Yeah. ...to counter uh, the, the we, bad times. Yeah, like, here at Pleasantry, we have a patio. Yeah. And it, not many places around here at all have yeah. patios. So, like, we're very fortunate. And, you know, like, it increases our seating capacity by, like, 50%. Mm-hmm. And it's a big draw. So, like, yeah, yeah. from... March, whenever it starts, till September, October, that's a great time. You know, yeah, you we, can't look we at that, that seasonal average. You're gonna look at that yearly right. annual sure, average. Sure, yeah, and, and it, it requires the discipline. You yeah, know, to like absolutely. maintain and like put stuff away, like you said, and and yeah, yeah. So, so you get this opportunity, 2014, to join the chef that was leaving originally. Yes. You get back with him. Was it just because they're doing food? Is that what drew you away? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so you nailed it. Um, so like, 1215 was my first experience of creating my own wine list and buying wine um which was great and awesome and i learned a lot from that not only about that side of the business but also about myself and 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 my tastes and my palate and started to hone that in um but yeah but i just i missed food i missed i missed restaurants um so well the cool thing too at this point being the wine director i mean you're ordering wine for the guests ultimately but you also get to explore and you're buying and you're you're following that curiosity you're right. developing that that palate uh this isn't really a food podcast but yeah um what what were the you said you learned a lot about yourself did you learn anything about yourself professionally at this point um yeah i think uh the biggest thing that i started to like carve out a little niche for myself there professionally is that uh like i started to like I didn't want to be, I don't want to have the same wine list as everyone else there. You know, I wanted to kind of like do it a little differently because there's so much wine out there. Why does every list have to have the same grapes, the same um, producers? You know, like to me, that was, that's not what it was about. And that can be kind of boring. So I I learned that about myself that I, and I just enjoyed uh, tasting new things and the curiosity. Um, 
as far as that but professionally yeah um i think also as far as like i just learned how to i wasn't necessarily managing people at that time um more so just like managing myself and being disciplined in putting together a list and staying up on ordering and and trap staff training is a big thing there um so just staying up on that um just really really honed in um on how to be like kind of you said staff regimented. training was, was yes. a big part of that. Very was there big. any key moments, any, any bombs of knowledge you can drop on us in the, that, on that area of, uh, of staff training development? Like anything about like how to train a staff or something about like what it was. So there uh, are one list changes completely. 15, it's down to 15. It was like 18 wines, completely different every three months, quarterly. This was at? At 12.15. Okay. So, uh, so it's a... And, so you're st- training a whole new staff or a staff on a whole new list every three months. So one, you have to know it mm-hmm. and two, you have to be able to explain it to them. Um, and I think, uh, though at that first stint at 1215, it was only two lists. Um, I know I remember, uh, specifically Joanna said like after that second time that I did it, she was like, you're already like miles better than the first one you did mm-hmm. when you were standing in front of people and training them. And, um, which was great to see and I, I enjoyed hearing and stuff like that but it was also like something to, to, to build on from that as well um, but yeah, staff training to me is always uh, it's something I really enjoy doing um, in that setting um, just because uh, teaching people knowledge mm-hmm. have, uh, seeing lights click yeah. for people uh, is, is very rewarding mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the big things I like about what we do is being able to um, teach people uh something new something that can be like a life trait and and a life skill that they can take with them um a big thing i always say to people is like i don't care if this is your your job to get you through school i don't care if it's a job for the next six months or if it's something you want to do as a career any any and all of those are awesome and great but like just be good at what you're doing be the best at what you're doing like because that's just work ethic all that is is shows your work ethic if I don't care what you want to do with your life, but like work ethic shows through in anything. Um, so be, there's a big thing about like being present and being in just where you are right now. Mm. Um, I've started to really focus on that here. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, like I've been saying a lot recently, you know, like last night was last night. Tomorrow is tomorrow. Right now is right now. Mm. Just, just give me right now. Like, don't think about what happened last night. Don't think about tomorrow. Just give me right now, and and the shift will be better. You'll be better. Your guests will be better. Mm. Um, just things like that. Um, a lot of that has to do kind of like a little segue, a little side. Um, I also I teach spinning classes. Okay. Um, over the past probably like four or five years, like fitness has become a big thing. I've always, not always, um, just uh, I think maybe just as I got older, just realized that being physically fit yeah. is very big in also being like mentally fit. Oh yeah. Um, so, uh, now I make the time to, to, to work out and exercise. Um, it's a release. It's a time where I can listen to a podcast or yeah. get away or, you know, just not think about what I would be thinking at another time. <laughs> and so, yeah, just over the past uh, couple of years, um, I've taught at this amazing studio, um, here in town and like our big thing is like to be present there you know uh, you're gonna leave this room this area uh, being a better person than when you came in because mm-hmm. you, you pushed yourself you challenged yourself 
in this 45 minutes that we had here together. Let's tie this back to training. Yeah. So why is presency, being present, yeah. so significant when it comes to training? Um, I mean, attention is, is huge in training because you have to learn. Like, to be on the other side of training, you have to learn. And you have to take that in. And um, to see that click, and, and once you can see people kind of like absorb and take in the knowledge um, and then therefore use that uh, that's like the reward for me is yeah. is when I see not only they see take in what I told them or you know maybe a tip that I showed them but then they also show that to their peers maybe um, very much try to uh, train so that I'm not necessary um, it's probably the hardest thing I've had to learn and you know like any owner chef whatever will tell you like letting go is the hardest thing but in order to do that I think letting go is necessary to grow uh, not only like within like outside of your walls if you ever want to grow outside of your walls but growing the business as well you need to let go and in, in order for that to happen your staff has to be yeah. prepared they have to be trained and, and what you're talking yeah, sorry keep going did you have do you want to add yeah, on to that go for it um you want to create system-dependent operations. You say you got to let go. you got to learn how to train your staff so they're not dependent on you, so you don't mm-hmm. have to be there. And that ultimately, that's what we're trying to get, and you create systems, and, and the training's a part of those systems of educating, and you've got to make time for that. You've got to make sure people are present and, and you know, taking this in, and, and you, you have to let go because if, if you were there and everybody re- relies on you right. for all the information, for all the, 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 the everything, right. then it's not sustainable. No. Well, that's a huge lesson and I love also you mentioned something that I don't want to skim over which I think is huge we need to put emphasis on it is again niching like finding your niche for you originally um, you you know start with one to be like you, you start with the general direction of wine mm-hmm. right and then you got to constantly be learning pushing yourself and narrowing it down and when, as far as business goes within a market uh, you're, you're finding your own personal brand the natural wines and for don't sure. just do wine but do a specific type of wine maybe it's champagne maybe it's rosés but for you it was natural and you opened right. You design a business around that idea. Yeah. Which is so why, I guess let's kind of evolve into yeah, yeah. Sure. present day. So yeah. before, I don't, do you want to, was this so the vision can, from the very uh, beginning? So is there anything I we're can missing? kind of like tie yeah. it all together to like, yeah, yeah. so six months into after I had left 1215, uh, and it's kind of how I got to really deciding that I wanted to be a restaurateur, own a business, whatever. Um, it was the first time in my life that I was... <laughs> kind of like outwardly insubordinate to my boss and uh this is at the this ex- is at, at uh, the phoenix at the oh, yeah. president's room at the phoenix yeah um my boss, outwardly disubordinate uh, yeah okay. just, I just we just and i'd never been like that in any circumstance from when i was 17 years old working at b-dubs and my like hillbilly boss was just a dick to like i was still like sure i'll do anything you ask you know like let me know I think I got to a point, I did get to a point where I didn't like running ideas just to get squashed. I didn't like being told ways to do things that I knew just weren't the right way to do it. Maybe they were 15 years prior, but they're just not the way to do it now. Um, And I hit a point where I was just like, man, not only is like it not fun and I don't enjoy like having these ideas that I think could help grow the business that I think would be good for the business. And I think would be fun to do. Um, I was also like just becoming unhappy mm-hmm. and and I'm not I'm very much not an unhappy person like I never had been and and at that point um you know when I sorry when I left 1215 uh Joanna we left very amicable and Joanna and I remained friends and 
we got together one night after like an afternoon after a, a wine trade tasting and she kind of was talking about how she was kind of like in a weird spot at 12:15 where like things weren't going great after I had left there um and you know I just we were sitting at this bar over on Main Street and I was like what if we found a way to kind of like work together again and she was like what do you mean I was like well what if we tried to open a restaurant you know what if we put all faith and effort into trying to open a restaurant I can come back to 12:15 um I can oversee that wine program and we try and figure out how to open a restaurant and she was like yeah let's do it um of course it took a couple months to where we were like okay um and really it took like 2 months later i just left my job and i was like you know what i don't know if this is ever going to work like if it's going to come to fruition but i can't be doing what i'm doing so i left there came back to 12:15 uh you know was the wine buyer wine director there and we joined and i hit the ground running with like looking at spaces and figuring out like what we wanted to do we knew we wanted to open up a wine centric restaurant mm-hmm. uh so that was it um it was a you know and this was all aside from the point of how are we going to do this how are we going to pay for it how are we going to you know what are our facilities going to be like what where are we going to get the funding you know all that was just like all right let's just start looking let's 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 figure it out um so that early spring we were out in san francisco for let's tap the brakes real quick sure because uh, i'm curious you said one of the things that uh that pulled you away from the, the restaurant you're at this point the phoenix uh, mm-hmm. was that you just weren't happy uh and you weren't being hurt um what else contributed to that unhappiness what was going on that made you not jive at this location was it um, people was it systems what was it it was a little bit it was a, it, so the phoenix is like a very old very beautiful yeah. historic building in downtown Cincinnati. It's like an event space. Yeah, it's what it is now. Yeah, you know, there's weddings there all the time. Okay, and then this restaurant was reopened in there. There was okay. a restaurant in the past and it closed. They reopened it in there. Um, so it was like kind of like an older feel, and I, you know, maybe to my blind ignorance, I guess that's redundant, but like. Um, it was classic and you're not classic. Yeah. And I was like, I thought I could change that. I thought it would be cool to kind of like come in and like inject this young vibe yeah. and try and make it like this younger crowd in this old, beautiful, yeah. like adorned space. Your brands didn't align. Right. And it just me. didn't align. And, uh, you know, it, it was, I do take a lot from that and that I learned a lot of the ways how not to kind of like handle people, how not to manage people the way my boss there did. Um, just, yeah, we just like our ethos was just not aligned at all he was very high strung he was very pushy 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 sending out like 30 emails in a row back to back to back to back to back and i'm like i I just can't vibe with this yeah um so we yeah so i just i i had to get out of there because i was i just felt like i was like (laughs) dying a little bit well good on you for you know following your gut and yeah if you mean you have joanne um Joanna, she's, yeah. sorry joanna um she she's your you know your, your mentor the person that you resonate with why not surround yourself with that sure uh, so you go back to her um you you, you pitch her uh-huh. uh and everything's going we kind of already went, went over this so you start looking for the location what was that process like? um so it's cool so uh we uh went to so there's been a big developer non-profit developer in over the run the community area where we are um that has done like insanely awesome work in this area as far as uh 
allowing the area to thrive. This area, I'm looking out the window right now, just over your shoulder, and like it's brand new development. Yeah. Uh, you, you looks like you got here on just before the the yeah. Maybe so around. it's kind of like uh, so over the Rhine in its current state had been here. So twelve fifteen is six years old. Like this week, um, and. That was like the fourth thing. Vine Street is kind of like the hub of the mm-hmm. revitalization of Over the Rhine. Um, Over the Rhine is like has this beautiful, beautiful. If you walk around like Italian Renaissance architecture, the biggest concentration of it in the country. Um, it's beautiful from it's the eighteen hundreds. It's, it's insane. Um, but these buildings were all dilapidated. They were falling apart. They were vacant. Mm. They were about to be condemned. Um, and this developer came in, and and I mean, these this area was at one point was the highest crime rate any neighborhood in the country. Um, there were race riots here in 2000. Um, it was like a wild time. Um, and this, uh, this developer, yeah, kind of like realized that like for Cincinnati to grow as a city, like we need to get our core. It's called three CDC. It's like Cincinnati center city development corporation. So like build up your core, build up your core. And we have this awesome area here. So they started with a couple restaurants and um, you know basically their model is like we'll give you a decent amount of the money up front you bring in a little we'll bring in some and then we're your landlord and so you pay us um, and they've given most of these businesses would not have been able to open without their help so they've been the developers this, the developers yeah and they're non-profit so they get they have like the big businesses in Cincinnati Kroger P&G all those are like sit on their board they get a lot of grant money. They get a lot of stuff like that. They get a lot of private donation stuff like that. Um, so, and they've done incredible work. Um, so, let's dive into this concept of building the core. When you say that, you're mm-hmm. talking about the actual physical space. Like, uh, if you look at a, a a city on a map or a region of a city on a map, and you go to the center of that region and do, grow outward, is that what's meant by yeah, the core? Yeah, so kind of like a, like the city center, like okay. your central business district, which is a little bit south of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but just grow that, make mm-hmm. that strong, and. Um, because that's kind of like where the energy, where the, a lot of the business, a lot of the, uh, you know, enterprises. Yeah, you in, need the in, capital, in a, you need the cash flow. You, you need start that the cash to flow. go. Um, so, yeah, so they did that. So we started looking at spaces from them. They were Joanna's landlord at 1215. Um, they didn't start off as that, but they ended up becoming her landlord there. Um, so, yeah, so we started looking at a few spaces, looked at a couple spaces that weren't one of theirs, um, but all in this in this area of over the Rhine. Um and we, when we first walked into this space that we are right now that became Pleasantry, um, Joanna and I walked in with the like leasing agent at 3CDC. And so this building most recently, and I say most recently, it was like 15 years prior, had been vacant for 15 years, was like a corner store, a convenience store. So at the top of like the windows, I know you listening can't hear it, see it, but at the top was like still the, it was all boarded up and it. But at the top in wood, it said, like, you know, cigarettes, ice, soda. Like, <laughs> that was still there. And it, it was cool. I wish there was a way that we could have, like, preserved that yeah, and made that a part of it. But it was, like, cheap plywood that just somehow stood up there. Um, and we walked in there, and I was just kind of like, okay, cool. Like, another thing. But Joanna was like, no, like, I love this. This is this is the thing. Because she was like, you know, those arched windows and, like, you know, in the daytime, sunshine will shine through there. And... She was like, you know, I like this, and and it's funny how you say this looks like a uh, like a there's development all around us. This is very much kind of like a, a next phase of over the Rhine. So like that building across the street that wasn't there when we signed on. 
these things weren't there. Uh, like the other businesses other than the brewery right there wasn't built. Music Hall, which is right a block south of us, this beautiful, beautiful historic structure yeah. where like symphony and orchestra and ballet is, um, was about to undergo a year and a half renovation, like this very hundreds of million dollars. So aside from the aesthetic that was very appealing to the two of you, yeah. especially Joanna, uh, the location was on the come up and it, it was, was prime yeah, and it was, real estate. And it so. was very much, uh, this is a, f- a residential focus mm. area. And we like that. We always had the idea we want to open a wine centric restaurant, but we want to open a neighborhood restaurant. We want to open an approachable restaurant. Um, so like the, the residential focus of it was, was a big a big key for us as well. And mm-hmm. right after we kind of like agreed to the space on a handshake, um, probably like six, I don't know, five or six articles like came out in the next like wow. few weeks of like different developers, like putting developments in this area. And we're like, okay, I guess we, we did all right. Yeah. Um, so you that, didn't know that was going to happen. You could maybe had a hunch. Yeah. Because she kind of, she was on the inside cause her, her, uh, not her, what was, what was the title of the people? Uh, the, the, her landlord at the time, three right? CDC. Yep. Um, maybe we're feeding her inside information like this area. Or? Yeah, just uh, I mean they yeah they definitely told us like yeah. like we're they basically own ninety yeah. percent of the buildings they know in over the Rhine. Deals, so they're like yeah we're like this shit's is a happening. focus <laughs> on us right yeah. yeah so yeah it was it was really cool to see and uh, so you got the foot traffic you're, the- you're you're literally like in the community so it's not like you parking is much of an issue I feel like most people yeah. are walking well here. so the the funny thing about that the big caveat of that is is there's construction around us all the time. Yeah. So, and it's very delayed right now. Okay. So like that one right there is over a year delay. So it hasn't quite happened at the pace that we thought it was. Construction never does, but, um, which we know it's just been, and like, yeah, we have street parking here and it's the city. (laughs) And, uh, so we just walked in. I was curious. I was joining. I'll let you know if she comes (laughs) in. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just been slow. And, like, we have on-street parking. Um, but, you know, a lot of that during the day is taken up by construction workers. Mm. It's all it's all for a good thing. Look into you know? the future, man. Yeah, right. It's going to happen. Right. It just makes it now a yeah. little bit it's tough. tougher than we thought, honestly. Yeah. Well, at least you still have that foot traffic, people in the... In the you yeah. Know, you yeah. Know. It's definitely not, like, the center of Over the Rhine, which we like, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, we're kind of, like... Weirdly enough, it sounds weird to say like we're a destination within Over the Rhine just because we are off the beaten path, but still in Over the Rhine. So people aren't, they're only coming up here if they know we're here. They're not like walking by to go somewhere else because there's not much else to Mm. do. So what were your biggest challenges getting started? Uh, Take us through kind of some of the evolution of finding your identity and getting open and I mean, were there curveballs that even Joanna didn't know? She's got the experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she opened uh, 1215 with a partner actually. And uh, shortly after they opened, uh, he had to get out and that required her basically to like take on the, his load, financial, okay. operational, even though she was doing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very steep learning curve that she was kind of forced into, um, which worked out honestly. Um, but so, yeah, so, like, all that opening stuff and, like, managing construction and doing all that, she was a part of, but not really at, at when she first did 1215. So so we were kind of, um, you know, kind of thrust into it. Uh, the biggest things, uh, so we went out to San Francisco. Once we decided we were going to do a restaurant, we didn't know what. We went out there for a wine conference, a wine show, and our... Um, we ended up going out to this little wine bar in Oakland one day um, called Ordinaire. Um, I've referenced it before. It uh, 
So honestly, Joanna was two two months pregnant when we went out there. Um, so unfortunately, she couldn't indulge and oh, have, have the fun I did. <laughs> um, but we so we walked into this bar at like noon on on a Monday because the way industry events are Sunday Monday, and uh, so we walked into this wine bar on a Monday, and I just sat down and we both did and just kind of like shot the shit with the owner, this guy named Bradford. Um, for like four hours and he was just like pouring and talking and and it's a natural wine bar it's a it's a retail shop and a wine bar and uh you know we were like got in our uber and he was amazing and like taught us a lot about it and like we knew what natural wine was but we just had never been exposed to it in that way i mean the coast they see things before us they have they're a bigger market they mm-hmm. have their ports you mm-hmm. know so they can have easier access to that stuff um so we were in the uber on the way back to our hotel and I was kind of like you know that's that's what we're going to do we're going to open a natural wine bar we're going to open a natural wine program mm. restaurant and in this Cincinnati point you already had your interest in this sort of thing right? yeah so this just like picked it and really like I saw it in action mm-hmm. you know a natural wine program a natural wine bar and I was like alright let's let's do this so but what that meant we're in Cincinnati, Ohio so I got back and I was like shit we don't we don't have all this one, yeah. you know? So I just started like scouring books and, 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 you know, figuring out what was available to, available to me now, then. Um, and a big part of what I did, like my biggest challenge as far as like conceptually what I wanted this program to be is I just started writing, if they were domestic, like producers and being like, hey, uh, I have a, I'm a wine buyer at a wine bar and I'm about to open a natural wine restaurant and I would love for your wines to be I'd love to be able to pour your wines um, do you have an interest in coming into this market mm-hmm. and if they said yes then I have to connect them with a distributor mm-hmm. so it kind of is like a partnership in that way yeah. um, and if it was like an importer uh, same thing I'd reach out to importers and kind of connect things and uh, so that was a big hurdle getting wines in and I made like some really cool connections right away from that um, but it took it took a lot of work and it was a lot of busy work of like writing emails and people saying like no I don't have any wine for you or yes or like a distributor being like no I don't it also takes a leap of faith on a distributor to bring some wine in that they've never had before. They can be a little funky and a little weird to people. So some of the key things I'm pulling up to this point, yeah. um, huge, uh, be connector in and blaze your own trail. It's not the easiest way to do things, but it's the most rewarding and create your opportunity. It's it, just because it's not available now. Well, okay. It's not an option right now, but what can I do to make it an option? How can For I be sure. proactive? How can I get the balls in motion? Yes. How can I connect these people to make my vision come to reality? And then also the other big part of that too is the the power of being the best at like one thing, mm-hmm. right? And then creating that one thing to be the best at. Uh, for you, the you were gonna be, you know we're gonna be the best wine. Maybe you could potentially be the, you could be the best yeah. wine restaurant or the wine centric restaurant in Cincinnati, sure. but be the but narrow down even more. Be the best natural wine bar. So if you can be number one at something, if you can have a name for being like the best at one thing, yeah. Uh, if you can create your own tr- trails, it's it's easier to be number one. For example, Restaurant Unstoppable. There wasn't a good restaurant podcast, right? Yeah. So like, I created it, and you know, when you can be the best at something, I don't want to say I'm the best restaurant podcast, uh, but like it's. Uh, there's not that much competition. There's a lot of podcasts out there, right? Yeah. Only so many restaurant podcasts. Sure. So be good at something very specific and yes. be the best at it. Yeah, very much so. I mean, there's like, uh, there's a lot of restaurants in Over the Rhine now. Um, I 
would honestly say too many right now. Honestly, um, uh, it's a problem. It's yeah. yeah uh, I, or or to put it another way, I would not open a restaurant in Over the Rhine mm-hmm. right now. Um, it's just until all this residential gets built up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just not enough peace. There's not enough seats. Mm-hmm. Or there's not enough people for all the you know, seats. I want to dive into this. You're, you're bringing yeah. up something that is uh, sure. The same situation is having in Pittsburgh right now. It just was in Pittsburgh not yeah. too long ago, and um, retail's not retail suffering. And the only thing that's working in the retail space is restaurants. And now what we're doing is we're oversaturating the market with the restaurants uh, and cannibalizing the market. Basically. Uh, I, I think what we need to do, my, this is my personal, I'm going to bounce mm-hmm. this off. You see what you think. I think we need to start um, educating the general public about the other trades, the other crafts and, and educating and maybe uh, not just focusing on doing restaurants as restaurateurs, but maybe, the more successful restaurateurs start from the core, right? And then work on other craftsmen, investing in, in the, the florist, investing in the, the whatever fill in the blank. And, yeah. you know, in stressing the, and emphasizing the importance of buying local and, and, and giving the money back to the community. Um, because there's, you know, I think it's going to start with restaurants and it, it, it's pr- currently in the process of being with restaurants. Yeah. But, the market's oversaturated and it's a pro- it's a problem. Right. So like, like you mentioned earlier, you got to start at the core. Yeah. I think, know? I think, uh, to that point, I do think that we as a restaurant community here in Cincinnati are, are very good about, uh, using local produce and stuff like that and, and farming local and, and eating local. Um, I think we're very good about like, for the most part about like spending our money with especially in the restaurants with local restaurants as opposed to big chains for sure you'll see that in Cincinnati Cincinnati they're very loyal people yeah. um, and and very much like at least here you know we have like we had local people and small business owners do as much as we could in here you know like all our woodwork these tables the bar all that was done by this really awesome he was a regular at another restaurant of mine and just like is this awesome woodworker and build out all this wood for us. And the, uh, concrete bar tops, um, were done by these three brothers in Dayton. And, uh, like our plates and bowls are done by this really, really awesome, super, super talented, uh, ceramics. Uh, her name's Christy Goodfellow and she does awesome things with ceramics and makes mm-hmm. all our plates. And, you know, we, we, you know, like the wine I buy from, I, I, I like to buy from like the little guys, you know, mm-hmm. one, because they bring in the wine I like, but two, because I like, I, it's, I just it's like the personal feeling too, of yeah. like, of like, yeah, you know, like traveling with them to like pick out wines together or something like that. You know, like there's just, yeah. And like our coffee roaster, we have a pretty extensive coffee program here, you know, like they're all local. And, and so just, we are good in terms of keeping the money in our thing. I think, um, I was talking to a group. Uh, we had a, did a private event two two Thursdays ago, um, and you know they're like, "What's your mantra here?" And I was like, "You know, uh, I think uh, the term eat local and you know like farm local and stuff like that is like it can be overused now. Too, too much is like local at the detriment of your product or at the expense of having to spend a ton of money on something." Um, and our, our chef Evan Hartman um, has. He actually said it the best, and I heard him say that, and I stole it from him. Um, and he was like, you know, like maybe eight years ago, five years ago, it was like eat local was like the cool buzzword to say. He was like, but now it's just we we sh- we just do it because it's kind of like, it's just the right thing yeah, to do. It's not keep your money yeah. here, you know. Exactly, people will spend more money with you if they have more money to spend. Yeah, and you know, I like to say it's it, it once was a trend. It's no longer a trend. It's an awakening, and it's just the reality yeah. of like this is the right 
like it started as people seeing it as being trendy and hopping on the bandwagon. Right. But luckily, that was a good thing because it was it was yeah. driving. Yeah, you know, it's a trend for the economies yeah, exactly. For now sure. it, it's it's a movement. It's a movement. It's not a trend. And, right. uh, and we're only going further in that direction. And I think it's going to spill over to other markets. Uh, I think food is at the core of, of our existence. We yeah. need it so much. It's such a part of, right. part of what we are. Like literally, you know, it becomes us. Yeah. Um. So it started there, and it's gonna tr- it's gonna bleed into other markets. That's my hope, at least. Uh, so we got to start thinking about wrapping up the conversation sure. before we go to the speed round. But anything that we didn't discuss up to this point, any lessons about your success here that you can share with us or just topics you want to hit before we move on? Um, I don't know. Just uh, I, I guess I could say like, you know, a lot of people have said it. Uh, like, but I think the biggest like restaurants, people, anyone who like wants to get into a restaurant just because they think it's fun and whatever is not it's not the right way to do it. It's not. It's not the fun thing to do, but uh, I, I truly do. Uh, I love this, and I am in what I do because I don't have to go to work every day. That's my biggest thing. Um, you know, I, I tell my wife all the day. I, I correct her all the time. She's like, oh, "Are you heading down to work?" I'm like, "No, I'm heading down to the restaurant." You know, um, and that to me, uh, you know, we have, you know, it hasn't been the easiest road. It's we've done all right. You know, we've gotten some good press, and like we've we've carved out a little niche for ourselves. Um, but it's 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 something that gives me energy. Mm. It, it, it balances me in my life, which is huge to me. Um, you know, it's 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 an energizing thing um, and things like that. So, uh, but yeah, if you want to get into a restaurant just because it's a restaurant and it's fun and it's cool and like you can Instagram some things, it's not. <laughs> it's probably not the, way, the reason yeah. to do it now. Absolutely, great stuff, man. And, yeah. Um, all right, we're gonna take a quick break and thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Payroll and benefits, it's hard. Sometimes it feels like this foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question honestly. Does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurant? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage 
leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, 11 Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to GetBento.com. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Um, I think probably the biggest thing that uh, has allowed me to be where I am today is just a, a sense of control. Um, I'm very structured. I'm very regimented. Uh, I think sometimes people can take that as being like, oh, is that like... You have an addictive personality. I'm like, no, like the complete opposite. Discipline is freedom. Yeah, the complete opposite. Like I, I can very much do as much of something I want. I can do none of it. Um, it's just allowed me to kind of be able to, to grow and and into, um, you know, like I, I'm very structured. I, I do the same thing every day, mm-hmm. and that has allowed me to plan out my day. I'm a big planner. Mm-hmm. I like to know what's going. So like, I do the same thing every morning. I wake up. Routines are huge. I, I'm a big person of routine. You know, do do the same thing every day and you never have to worry about like you never have to worry about oh did I brush my teeth today did I put deodorant on today well like if you I do the same thing in the same steps yeah. and people think it's like crazy and it's like this weird obsessive compulsive thing I'm like no it's just it's just my routine and yeah. it's mindless for me yeah. now yes that's the trick right there you got yeah. to it I was gonna compound on that have you re- have you read uh, the what is it oh man uh, power of habit no, I oh, have it's, it's right yeah, up it's your alley. List. It's yeah. right up your alley. Yeah. And what you're talking about is when you have a routine and you do these things every day, it becomes habit and that's energy being saved. It's thinking you don't have to do. And you, at first, like it's it seems regimented. It's like it's kind of shitty to have to wake up and do all these things, but after a while of just continuing to do the things, do the things it becomes routine. Um, and especially the things that are routine or things that are going to make you feel better, like your morning routine, taking care of yourself first, like waking up, drinking water, exercising, meditating, journaling, and like doing All the things that. that you need to get done that are the most important things I do if I do anything today. Right. You get that stuff done and it becomes routine and you become so productive and so efficient. Um, sorry, I'm not trying to go on a tangent. No, it's, too deep it's, here, but. yeah, I'm, I'm, it's definitely something and I try and like, but I've also learned in that that like I can't. If people aren't like that, you can't force them to be like that. You can't force them to be like you. You can only hope that they can uh, take pieces of that and take that with them. Um, yeah, you know, like, I, I never have to worry about forgetting something because, like, I always keep my keys in the same pocket. I always keep my phone in the same pocket. Like, I always just know yep. where things are. And, you know, I think the trick, too, teaching people that is knowing that what will happen. Like, kind of like we just what we discussed. Like, when mm-hmm. at first, if you know what the the... The end game is, you know, the, the impact of having that routine, those regiments will have on your life. Yeah. It becomes worth it. You know, I'm not just making you do this stuff to be a dick. Like, it will make your life right. better. It like, allows me to to take more on yeah. because I can set out time for each thing. Mm-hmm. It, it allows me to, you know, add something new, add, yeah. a, add a wrinkle. Like, I don't like being thrown off of my schedule, but, like, if I put something in place and knowing that, like, instead of wake up like this is a relatively recent thing for me and it's been amazing um wake up see my wife out the door uh go work out come home make breakfast meditate get ready go on my day that meditation has now become it's like relatively like a a past two or three week thing that i've just read a lot about people doing that and even if it's a short amount of time 
um, just doing that has really just helped me. Helps you get intentional. Yeah. It helps you get intentional and you think and you you really start to think about what's most important in this moment now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, what am I, why do I, why do I exist this day? Right. Right. And you just, in, you get that clarity, you re, you recenter, you get back those values. Uh, it's so, so important. And yeah. I don't want to put words into your mouth. No, but, yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of things you can get from. Yeah. There, I mean, know? I did some research. I tried to, I was actually on my a little routine for a while and then I got off of it. Like in October. Say on the road, it can be a little. Yeah. Well, I was, on, I actually started really getting on the road in October because I went to a friend's wedding in Florida and it was just a, a couple of weeks of really bad decisions. Yeah. Uh, you know, sure. and yeah, it and just, it, it's yeah. hard to get back into it, but I'm working on like, trying to get back into it now. Yeah. So, so important, man. So much so for yeah, that, that, a quick speed round. Right? That structure and, and <laughs> habit in my life has just really allowed me to, I think, I think it's so impactful succeed. So what is your biggest weakness? Um, I think the biggest weakness, I think, I mean, there's a couple, I have a lot, no doubt. Um, uh, admitting that I have weaknesses is, is, uh, something that has always been difficult for me when I was a kid, um, in grade school, I'd always get accepts constructive criticism and that was always checked. Like I didn't accept that well. Um, so how have you gotten over that? What are you better about that now? It's, it's, it's a work in progress. Um, but realizing that like my thirst for knowledge and, and to grow, is is much better than my my pride mm. and 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 look, being able when there's someone that I respect or trust is correcting me teaching me uh, showing me it's it's allows me to be better mm. um, so yeah just just growing that um, not trying to not always uh, be right is is something that I that I constantly work on um, and not necessarily like being right is good but like forcing yourself to be right and and talking your way around being wrong to try and be right is very uh deconstructive it's not it's not good for relationships it's not good for uh professional life it's just not it's you know you want to be open and uh, and and honest and things like that you know and, and receptive to yeah. things versus it, it can be hard for people to approach you if you're always closed off and and come at things from an angle of uh like fear i think it comes off as fear mm. like just constantly being right uh i think you don't want to be wrong goes back to what we were talking about earlier which is being present and really mm-hmm. being self-aware for of sure the situation um for sure yeah uh next question what's your biggest challenge today 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 um biggest challenge uh i kind of talked about it in a little bit uh that like saturation of the market so just to like grow a little bit every day, um, really hone in on what we do. Uh, really, really just keep challenging my staff, keep having my staff challenge me to keep growing as, as a leader and me to in turn challenge them to grow as a team. I think that goes back into growing from the core, which is what we talked about earlier. The the cities grow from the core businesses grow from the core Mm -hmm. too. And don't compare yourself to the market, the oversaturated market, compare yourself to yourself yesterday. Right. And just focus on that inward growth, right? Growing from the core, growing your people and growing the lateral growth will come organically, but grow those roots. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely know that we do what we do and do it as best as we can and we'll succeed. Mm, there's, awesome. there's no doubt about that. What's one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Um, so I don't necessarily have a question I ask. I don't have a go-to thing. It's really just about, like, I do kind of harken back on that, like poker days. I pride myself on being able to read people. Mm. So I think it's it's a personality thing. If you yeah. have no experience, that's, that's all right with me to an extent. If you're 
open and if you're a curious person and and willing to to learn um i'll take you anytime um and if you show that in throughout like your job history or your schooling or anything like that but if but if you can sit down and have a conversation with me and we can go back and forth in a conversation uh fit because we're a small restaurant within our team is huge and like culture is huge so being able to just like have a conversation is sometimes trumps everything absolutely with me. great yeah. uh share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team maybe like a core value a way to be uh sure um i kind of find myself a lot going back to things that like my father said to me as a kid just like correcting me from being a kid um and the thing i go back to a lot is do it right the first time and i don't mean if you don't know how to do something do it right i mean if you know how to do something right like if you're folding linens and you're doing them all wrong and but you you're, you're cutting corners and then you have to go back and do it again. You're wasting your time. Exactly. You're wasting my time. If you're going to sweep and you like are just absentmindedly sweeping the floor and you like miss a spot because you didn't. And now there's something on the floor, like do it right the first time. It saves you so much time and it saves me the yeah. time of correcting you. Like there's a quote that goes something like do it right. The f- if you don't have time to do it right the first time, what makes you think you have time to do it do again? It, right. And uh, I don't know if that's where that derived from. I don't from, know. But yeah, I mean, it's it like literally when I'm 34. So, I mean, I remember hearing it for <laughs> yeah. for 34 years right? for sure. It's yeah. good advice. Now, my dad has a lot of those little sayings Nuggets. that I just pull out. And I'm like, man, I'm literally channeling my father right now. Yeah. You so, know, it's funny. Which it's like, is great. It's uh, when I started this podcast, I was trying to find like the secrets, like the nuggets, the things that really contribute to success. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, it's no, it's not anything new. Because the, like, the, the more I get at the core Sorry. of it all... It's just what we already know. And, and there's little sayings that we hear all the time. They're a part of, it's just a matter of bringing those things to the surface as much as possible. Right. And the reminding yourself like that's what yeah, it's all yeah. about. Um, what's one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So these are like the physical things your, your people do to take yeah. care of your guests. That's um, not common within the industry, but common within you guys. Uh, a big thing I preach here is to create a regular. Mm. Uh, I hearken back on that a lot with our team. Create a regular, create a regular. Regular is the only way, one, they're why we do what we yeah. do being able to see that same person we see in here every week that we know what they want to drink or we know that they'll like to try something new yeah um and it's also as like an owner who sees the financial side of it it's kind of like our way of knowing we have like future sales you know yeah that's how we can count on that um so and how do we do that uh start a conversation is is what i tell our, our 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 employees our team um start a conversation don't go up to somebody we don't go up to tables and we don't say hi my name is dan uh i'll be taking care of you You know hey how are you guys you know like start a conversation with someone be open talk to somebody like you're not serving them talking Mm. talk to somebody like you're taking care of them Mm. you know start a conversation because once that like wall is broken down that it's like me versus you you know i'm served like yes we are serving them we are doing a service for them for sure but like we want to make them feel comfortable here and by doing that we just start a conversation with somebody you know get to know them and and even in 30 seconds you can get a lot of information from somebody yeah just the power of creating regulars is so huge uh they say that if you are able to get somebody to come in three times the likelihood of them returning to becoming a repeat guest increases by like 70 percent yeah like that yeah uh so it is very powerful and it's like that 80 20 rule uh 80 percent of your revenue is going to come from 20 percent of your customers, those regulars. So I see, focus I see, I see the analytics, and yeah. that's the truth. Yeah, yeah it's, it's awesome. It's it's really cool to see. Yeah. Okay. What is one book that will make us better people or restaurant operators? Uh, 
I think one book that probably a lot of people have told you this as far as like restaurant operators. Can't be Dan and Meyer saying it's okay. Then I'll skip that. <laughs> uh, the book I'm reading right now, honestly, uh, I'm very big on reading about successful people in yeah. any line of work, and I see uh, Tim Ferriss as somebody who uh, I think his two books, Tribe of Mentors and Tools of Titans, are just kind of like him breaking down his uh, podcast episodes into word form on pages. And he asks, more or less, asks his guests that are successful in any and all line of work or life, um, the same five questions. Um, so that, and one thing he asks is like, what book would you get, recommend? And a common book amongst a lot of successful people is this book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Mm. Um, it's something I'm reading right now and I'm like all in on this book, uh, about 150 pages into it. Um, the 15 commitments to uh, honest, the 15 commitments of conscious leadership to conscious. Leadership. Yeah. It's, uh, it takes like some Buddhist principles, um, to leadership and it's written by this group, uh, three people probably who like go and like teach leadership classes to any and all people, but, and then wrote it all in this book. It's great. It's just all about, uh, that whole being present. It's all about taking a step back. Um, it's all about being like, not reactive to any situation, but just like absorbing every situation mm. and, and being able to learn and everything, uh, very much, uh, you're responsible for everything that is happening. You are in total control. Uh, don't blame. Be like, we weren't busy tonight because something happened or, you know, like this guest wasn't happy because they don't like this, you know, like, no, like look inward, you know, everything, uh, one big thing that I, see a lot of uh, in uh, very successful people is how they view luck um, and people are on different sides of the spectrum some people tell you like I'm a product of all luck you know I was in the right place at the right time and there are other people saying like and I'm I tend to fall in this other side of the spectrum like uh, no it's not it's not luck I put myself in that situation um, uh I it was fortunate that things ended up how they did, but I wouldn't have unless I did that. I wouldn't have been there. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson has a quote that says, uh, uh, "Here, I'll, I'll pull it up and yeah. read it because I don't want to mess it up." But like, I consider the luckiest part of my professional life meeting Joanna. Without that, or not, people would say the luckiest part of my professional life is meeting Joanna. Um, but I would counter that in saying like, I was looking for a job. I made the connection with this wine rep who put us into contact and it wasn't luck that Joanna and I clicked that we connected. It was who we were out there. Yeah. Right. And, and, and all that. So, um, yeah. So like the, the Joanna and I being together, wasn't out of luck. It was out of intentional living me getting to where I was yeah. and her being in a place where she it, was. It's so woo woo and it's so mushy gushy. And the people sometimes that hear this, like roll their eyes at it. But if you put it into the universe, if you, if you, you know, you, you feed the universe, if you give and you, you live intentionally, the universe will provide opportunities to you. you don't mm-hmm. luck doesn't happen. You create it. Right. And it seems sometimes people say like the, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Right. right? So it's just like, no, like I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, the only other example I can think of, like I'm ready to live out of my car right now. You know, like I have all the shit, like I'm ready to sleep in my car yeah. and on the road for almost a month. having not in my car one time yeah. because I put it out there. Right. You know, and people are saying, Hey, come stay with me, you know? I'm like, and you put it out there. Yeah. Know? That's great. So is that luck? Sure. I don't know. 
That, I would. Being so, a product of who you are and the relationships yeah. you've created. Yeah. So what's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant and how has it influenced your operation? Um, honestly, the best thing we've done, and it's not like anything new or crazy or good um, or like innovative. Uh, when we first opened, we uh, t- took reservations old school, over yeah. the phone, by hand. Um, honestly, because it was the best way I could control it myself. Mm-hmm. And I realized quickly that like, if I'm not, I was, and I was here all the time. Yeah. So like I could do every reservation, but quickly we realized that like, a, I didn't want to be here all the time Two, If I wasn't, and like something came out of whack, then it was my fault because mm-hmm. you put this stupid system in place of, so we use uh, reserve is the technology we adopted, uh, last year. Uh, be, uh, middle of last year. What was it about Reserve? It's, Why did you go uh, that platform versus some uh, other? Uh, a friend recommended it to yep. me. Um, was the first thing. Um, it was a good price point. It was uh, a lot cheaper than like the big dogs, like mm-hmm. open tables, like insanely expensive. Yep. And like we're a small restaurant, so we need to take that in mind. Uh, it was very intuitive. Mm-hmm. It was. It's iPad based. It's cloud based. So it's like can be small, um, and it just it just helped. Like it. Uh, People don't have to go to their website. That we can like get it off it's hours. Not just reservation; it's also CRM too, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, like we can do yeah management of the floor and yeah. all that. Yeah, and it keeps a great, you know, like, and it synchronizes with your website too. Yeah, it's yeah. on the website. You yeah. know, it's I can pull it up on my phone. I can pull it up on my on my laptop. Um, yeah, and it keeps like great notes mm-hmm. on guests and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah, it's 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 very simple. It's something we should have done from the beginning, and it's helped grow our business because as much as you know, people were so much in a now world, a technology world. Um, if you go to our website and you're like, oh, instead of some people say, no, I don't want to call. You know, I just want to click this button and be able to do it. And that's the difference of a reservation of revenue yeah. of and all that. Yeah. So, I think it was Jeff Benjamin uh, with Vetri Restaurant yeah. Groups. Uh, and he wrote this in his book, A Front of House. He started talking about, uh, you know, when an open table first came on the scene. He was very hesitant towards open table because he liked that that personal aspect of taking each call and having the, and knowing and being so close with the guests, right? He didn't want to lose that. But at the right. same time, those people who want to call in will still call in. Yes, um, for but sure. you still have to provide hospitality and service to those who prefer not to. And yeah. that's how he justified it um, when he made that switch. It's going back like twelve years. Yeah, ago I was going to say that was probably a long time ago. So anyway, um, cool stuff. Uh, you also are using breadcrumb. I yes. noticed. So yeah, yeah. why did you go with that platform? Uh, so when we started, it was funny. So we started breadcrumb. A uh, big thing about them is they had no upfront costs. You know, like when we were getting down to it, we were kind of crunched yeah. and needed to like cut costs some way, value engineer in ways. Um, and their big thing, like we wanted it to be cloud-based and as cheap as possible and, but still be able to do what we wanted to do. So, it was breadcrumb at the time they were owned by Groupon mm-hmm. um, and shortly after we agreed to using them you know no upfront they sent you iPads it was great yeah. like we were using it um, they were acquired by a company called Upserve which is a processor and what they really do is they're like an analytics company mm-hmm. um, and it was funny like at as soon as that announcement was made other POS people I had talked to to like shop we're like, oh, what are you going to do now that uh, breadcrumbs out of business? And I was like, that's not what this means. I don't think they're like pariahs coming out of like yeah. the woodwork. Like, um, but yeah, breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs been good. Um, it's very easy. It's very, very easy. It's very intuitive. The back end's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, how's the customer service? Good and increasing well, all the time. Upserves customer service is incredible. Yes. And they acquired 
like you mentioned, breadcrumb and to combined, I feel like they're going to be powerhouses in the future, like huge contenders. For sure. I mean, yeah. So let's see. We've been using it for a year and a half, just over a year and a half. And how much their customer service has improved since then is huge. Yeah. Like it's it's tenfold what it was. They've added staff. They've, you know, like their CEO sends emails out and like he's responded to an email that I sent when it went down one time and I was frustrated, you know, yeah. like it's, it's, it's good. And, uh, it's good. I'm on the analytics side. What's the biggest analytic you're leveraging that's had the biggest impact. Um, so I, honestly, we don't use it as much as we could. Uh, I'm still slightly, we stuck with it just because like they're the processor. And so we went with it. Um, yeah. the like top 50 guests spends, spending people is, is good just to know like I know I, yeah. can, I can probably loyal guess customers, right? yeah I can yeah. probably guess who they are because I see them all the time yeah um, but it is nice to see and it's kind of crazy to see like yeah. how much the value is and it just like puts it into perspective yeah. like oh god like look how much money they're willing to spend here versus somewhere else and I, w- I can't imagine you probably have more than three or four servers on the floor uh, so we have at our peak let's say now like when we don't have our patty we have Saturday night, we have two servers, two bartenders. Yeah. So another really uh, powerful sense of analytics you get are the uh, like the employee like server analytics for like sure performance. Yeah. And when you don't have a, a bunch of people to keep track of, I'm sure that's probably not as significant. Yeah. But they do have some right. very robust analytics around uh, your team's performance and yes. tracking. That's team one like sales and stuff like that. So if you're managing 15 servers, right, in a bigger huge. scale, yeah. yeah, it's it makes a whole lot of sense. And cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. This is actually one more question I actually I accidentally skipped over, but yeah. we'll see if we can't make it quick. What's one online resource or tool that you leverage? This could be like a magazine or an app. Uh, just real quick. Um, I mean, like podcasts is one. What's your favorite podcast? Uh, my favorite, favorite podcast. Uh, stuff. I have to, I listen to a lot. Uh, I, I listen to Tim Ferriss podcast a lot. Uh, you could go with that. I listen to a lot of NBA podcasts too. Uh, Dunk so Dylan is a if, good one. If Tim Ferriss is a ten on a one on a scale from one to ten, your favorite podcast to listen to? Where's Restaurant Unstoppable fall? <laughs> Eight. Okay, I'm working on it. I'm right there on his heels. Uh, so the last question: If you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, and all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about this world and the good of humanity, what would those three things be? <laughs> um, first thing, everyone chill out, relax a little bit. Um, I feel like we are so much in a society now where it's reactive mm-hmm. and instant reactive. Take the time to do a little diligence and figure out what you're reacting to. Um, we have information so easily, readily available to us um, at the palm, at the 180 character quip. Um, but just relax, process information, and then react to it. Mm-hmm. Um, very much going back to that, like be in the moment, be present, be now. Like realize what what you're doing. Um, you know, don't don't take one little thing as being gospel, and and but then don't don't also like overthink things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the relax and just take a second, take some deep breaths. So I got chill out, <laughs> do due diligence, be being proactive, not reactive. Yes. Right? And then be present. Yeah. And the biggest, just uh, always be learning. Always try to improve. Um, I try to be as curious about what I do, uh, both professionally and 
luckily what I do professionally is also like a big ho- yeah. hobby of mine. Yeah. So, and that's a, that's a huge point. I think it's a great way to wrap this up is uh, live intentionally, right? And if you live intentionally and you're proactive and reactive and you don't necessarily have work-life balance, but you have mm-hmm. work-life blend and you're living your life is your, your life work. Yeah. And if you accept that and you're happy with that, then you don't have to worry about balancing because you 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 know you you make time for you you make time for your people you're proactive like it's a balance right um it's not necessarily or it's a, it's a blend right yeah it's, it's it's melted together it should be one it's a part yeah opinion. like it's the same you know I, li- I I don't change yeah when I go in like from personal to professional life it's all absolutely it's all part of how I do it. My man, Daniel, you've been great. Yeah. Uh, such an awesome conversation. Uh, went a little long, but I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, if you're sorry cool about that. that. No, yeah, man. No, if I was a little I, wordy. I, I, I like connecting with my guests. I sure. like going deep. And I don't want to be a transactional podcast where on to the next question, right? Like, I want to pull back layers. And we did that today. We went deep. We got some great stuff out of you. Yeah. So thank you. I'm grateful for it. Uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. I'm in the area for a couple yeah. more days. Yeah. Uh, who should I be? Who should I get next? If there's one person in Cincinnati uh, that you think is just doing it really right and something we all need, somebody we all need to learn from uh, to, to be better versions of ourselves, like, who would that person be? Sure. Um, a friend, uh, restaurant owner, uh, chef, restaurant owner, Ryan Santos is one. Uh, he's got a restaurant, please. Um, roughly the same same age as we are. Yeah. Uh, still relatively new. Just doing a really cool um, style of food and service and ethos in the restaurant. Um, he's got a, a good outlook yeah. on things. Uh, another guy, Mike Stankovich, okay. has a bar called Longfellow. Um he came up like through Brooklyn and stuff like that. He's probably got some crazy stories for you. Um, that was Ryan and Mike. Yeah, uh, but Mike's also got like a really cool food program within his bar. So okay. um, yeah, also relatively new. Um, also places that I like to frequent. So Ryan, Mike, look out! I'm coming after you guys. Love to get you as guests on the show and let the folks at home know if we want to check out what you're all about. If we sure. want to follow what you're doing on social media, learn from you. Uh, maybe ask you a question. What's the best way to connect? Um, yeah, you can follow along the restaurant. Uh, our Instagram is fairly active. We are pleasantryotr.com. Um, or sorry, ple- that's our website as well. Pleasantryotr.com. Uh, pleasantryotr at pleasantryotr on Instagram. Um, we do that. Uh, there's been some things written about us out there. Yeah. So check us out. Do a little Google search. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, listen to the closing thoughts to find out what episode number this is. I, I'll be honest. I got... It's a good problem to have. I got too far out into the future, and I'm not sure what episode number this is going to be. <laughs> but when I create the, the closing thoughts, I'll let, I'll let you guys know the short link to head over to the final links to the tools and services that are recommended, plus how to connect with Ryan, the books that are recommended, all there in the show notes. Brian, or did I say Ryan before? That's all right. I just said Ryan, so that was probably fresh in your head. Yeah. Daniel, uh, thank you so much again for, for taking the time to share your story, to share your knowledge with us. And there is no questioning, my friend. You are unstoppable thank you thank you for having me (laughs)
There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable and a good one at that. And man, if I could just extract three nuggets from today's conversation, I would say the first one is, uh, you know, do something that's unique. Uh, become a specialist. Uh, you're going to be so much more successful in this industry if you become the best at one thing. So what Dan decided to do, he became a sommelier. And beyond that, when he opened a restaurant, he decided to focus on natural wines. Uh, so use that same approach. And if you can be uh, number one at something, you will be so much more successful. So create that new vertical. And if you are creating it, odds are, uh, you know, there's not gonna be many people out there, if anybody doing what you're doing. So get creative. Uh, the second big lesson is letting go. Uh, you, you've got to let go. You've got to trust your people, but you've also got to empower your people. And that's where uh, growth really starts to happen is when you uh, give your people the knowledge and the values and the skills and the resources to be outstanding. And then you get them to the point where they don't need you anymore and you can redirect your focus on other projects and really uh, grow. And it kind of comes back to that that saying that uh, Dan shared with us, which is grow from the core. And uh, that, that's what these developers are doing. But also to, to, to grow a restaurant, you got to grow from the core too. And then lastly, just being mindful and living intentionally. And uh, that whole idea of uh, luck doesn't exist. I don't believe luck exists. I believe you create opportunities for yourself by living intentionally and putting out into the universe uh, you know, what you want to do, writing it down, telling people, and just getting it out there. And you will create opportunities for yourself. Uh, but it's not easy. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of discipline, uh, but discipline is freedom and uh, great stuff today. Awesome conversation. Like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I'm sitting here in Thailand. I just moved into my new apartment. I'm overlooking uh, <clears throat> Hua Hin and Chen, Cha Am. I'm not sure if I'm saying these cities right, to be completely honest. Cha Am, and it's, it's it's beautiful, and I'm just so grateful to be here, trying to stretch my dollar, honestly. Uh, that's why I'm out here. The cost of living is so cheap, so I can really uh, come out here, and I got that that cushion of content from being on the road, and now I'm going to redirect my my attention into to, uh, you know, create some resources to bring this thing to the next level to, to better serve you. And on that note, uh, please tell me what you want restaurant unstoppable to become. When I close my eyes and I envision what restaurant unstoppable is, it's a platform to connect people, uh, to, to learn from those who are proven successful in, in a, in a space that isn't trying to sell, uh, but is simply just trying to share knowledge, share recommendations and to grow, uh, a podcast, by restaurant professionals for restaurant professionals. Uh, but, it, you know, just like you need to listen to your guests and give them what they want, I need to listen to you, my listeners, to give you what you want. I've had a few recommendations, like creating a map on the website uh, with uh, like little dots where all my past guests, where their restaurants are, so you can go uh, to their restaurants and experience their hospitality and maybe connect with them. I've also thought about creating something where you can uh, you know, make it easier for you to actually connect to my past guest. So if you're listening to an episode and you want to uh, schedule a time to speak with that guest, if they're okay with that, uh, they can uh, put themselves on this platform, their contact information, or maybe not their personal contact information. I might have to create something to help you guys connect. But that, these are the kind of things I'm, I'm talking about. Uh, one more idea that I had was creating a, a file sharing um, tool where you guys can all upload uh, different files that you've created, different spreadsheets, PLs, uh, 
budgeting spreadsheets, whatever kind of spreadsheet, sheet, uh, labor management spreadsheets, whatever you've created, uh, you can uh, donate those spreadsheets and sh- we can do a, a crowdsource sharing of uh, documents right there on the website. And then lastly, uh, the other idea I had, uh, I'm just bouncing ideas off you guys. I'm not promising. I'm not saying this is what we're going to do. I, I don't know if it's entirely possible yet, but these are some of the ideas that I have. Yeah, and that last idea was uh, to create a, a, a system so you guys can filter through past episodes better, categorizing uh, categorizing by topic and by uh, dates published, and really to make that process of finding episodes easier for you. So just a couple ideas. Um, there's a few more in the bag, but trying to uh, prime that creative engine for you guys. So if, you, if anything popped into your mind when I was going through my ideas that you think I should... Uh, consider if any of those ideas sound good to you, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantstoppable.com or find me on social media. Uh, Instagram is really my jam at Eric Cacciatore. Let me know what you think I should do. I'm open to suggestions. All right, guys, I couldn't do this without you. I love you all until next time. Peace out.